Alright, welcome back then ladies and gents where we're going to be looking at this press conference that was held by the WEF. Yes, uh, absolutely crazy. Who needs movies these days when this sort of stuff writes itself? We are going to be looking at what they said and without any further ado, I, just to you know recap over yesterday what I was talking about, I've cut down all of this to just a very short, succinct video so you don't need to watch the whole thing. I've just cut it right down as a time saver for you so you can see the key things that they are focused on. We have the head of media, this gentleman here. We have the managing director and then we have two people from the insurance industry who have a lot of interesting things to say. Let's just uh, begin with that and how they are influencing politicians and business leaders and leading the way with all this stuff. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. So, I mean, uh, the content has created itself as it were. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my name is Jan Zopf. I'm the head of media at the World Economic Forum. Welcome to this press conference where we're going to launch the World Economic Forum Global Risk Report 2024 in collaboration with Marsh McLennan and Zurich Insurance Group. I think as we enter 2024, um, fairly pessimistic outlook. So in terms of the overall... Are we surprised it's a fairly pessimistic outlook for 2024? No, not at all. It's always a pessimistic outlook from the WEF. Outlook for the next two years and the next 10 years, we see that there's a progressive worsening of that outlook. And when you look at 10 years out, um, that 30% grows, that that grows to nearly 60%. So two-thirds of the people are expecting that the outlook is incredibly negative in 10 years' time. AI-generated misinformation, cyber attacks, and cyber insecurity have emerged uh, as top risks across all time horizons. And it's about time, if I may say so, because these risks have not been prominently featured in past years, which I think is surprising given our dependency on technology, but also the acceleration of digitization following the pandemic. The potential impact on elections worldwide over the next two years is significant, and that could lead to elected governments' legitimacy being put in question. Interesting point there, because what have we got going on this year? We've got the UK, we've got the USA. There's, in fact, the, the next year or two has the most elections that we have seen in, uh, in decades, actually. So I think this is going to be very interesting how they're all coming together at the same time. And they're probably going to say, because of the way people are going to vote this year, we're seeing people lean to another direction. They're probably going to use this as an excuse, is what I'm thinking here. And this, in turn, could, of course, threaten democratic processes, leading to further social polarization, riots, strikes, or even intrastate violence. But we have to recognize the fact that everything we use, such as water, electricity, the financial system, the communication systems, all of this is dependent on the integrity of incredibly complex networked computer systems. Yeah, yeah. And um, we've talked about this a lot, actually. And when it comes to cyber attacks and how I actually think we are going to experience some cyber attacks, we're going to experience some major cyber attacks. And if we get into some sort of conflict, then it may be that there's a lot of cyber incidents on critical infrastructure. And, and she's talking about water and electricity and things like that here, all of which will most likely get 
hit, whether it's ransomware, whether it's conflict, whether, you know, whatever it is, these are all real risks going forward. So cybersecurity is not about protecting a computer or protecting a file. It's actually more about making sure supply chains work and that society as a whole is up and running. And yeah, well, supply chains are not going to work as well as they have done in the past, you know, 2010 to 2020 sort of era, because we're seeing a lot of issues with, you know, Canal, Panama Canal, Suez Canal, we're seeing all these issues there. We're seeing the breakdown of globalization. So I do think we're going to have a lot more issues with supply chains. Into a new era of risk now. And it's time to be a little bit more creative and collaborative in our approach to building resilience. Because only by working together, only by working together, we can reduce uncertainty, improve risk investment decision making and responses, and build that long-term resilience on a global scale. Okay, I mean, that was all read from a script, as, as most of you probably picked up as you're watching that. She's actually reading from a, a script there that was very, very polished, all about cooperation between everyone, etc. So it's time now that we start thinking about collaboration, resilience, and how to address these risks for the common good. And of course, in the business sector, you know, bringing the innovation and product development skills uh, to really bring these new products, uh, new vaccines uh, forward in a, in a very quick mm -hmm. time. So working together actually came out with this uh, 1.5 degree threshold of, of uh, global warming, beyond which uh, irreversible, ir irreversible uh, transition uh, points of, uh, uh, or tipping points uh, happen. So, yeah. The, the, they keep coming up with this whole 1.5 and oh it's next year or oh, it might be the year after but um you can see he wasn't even comfortable let's just watch that bit again he wasn't even comfortable saying that here we go let's go from here threshold of, of uh, global warming beyond which uh, irreversible ir irreversible uh, transition uh, points of, uh, uh, or tipping points uh, happen so and just remember there's a lot of debate over this 1.5 degree not everybody agrees on it. This is what they are saying. It doesn't necessarily mean it is a fact. I think the IPCC and, and the vaccine development are great examples of collaboration. We can do lots more of that. Perhaps some of you have uh, changed your diet. Maybe you've moved uh, away from meat. Maybe you're going to a, a lower carbon diet. Some of you may... Again, it's this whole thing of going away from meat, um, you know, low carbon diet, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that. Even making choices about uh, your travel for the coming year, uh, reducing your carbon footprint that way. Maybe some of you have even thought about buying an electric vehicle. You know, all yeah, I've thought about none of those things. <laughs> Just so you know, I don't think about what, well, I think about what I eat, not from a carbon perspective, but from a health perspective, nothing to do with carbon. I'm not getting an electric car. I'm not even thinking about my uh, travel plans in that way. When I want to travel, I, I, just, I just travel. These individually are just drops in the ocean, but with uh, critical mass, this really starts moving the needle in terms of decarbonisation. So a transition away from fossil mm -hmm. fuel use. Okay. I think that's a really good thing. And in fact, uh, that's echoed by... Fat well, n no, it's not necessarily a good thing. And it's not... I mean, I don't know. He's going to say in a second who it's echoed by, but... It's not necessarily a good thing. There's loads of reports on this. The world is not ready yet for a transition, like he's saying, it needs to be faster and everything like that, um, to renewables. It's, it's just not 
true, and it's not. I don't even think it's debatable at this stage. You ask anybody who knows about this sort of stuff with the energy grid, and they'll tell you you can't be 100% on renewables, and it's not going too slow. That's the other thing they're saying. They haven't got the, the capacity yet for all these renewables. Birol, the CEO of the International Energy Agency, who said, look, this is good, but actually not good enough. And in fact, that's right. We need to do a lot more in terms of widening and deepening and speeding up emissions reductions around the world. But the fact is... Look, I think there's a difference between emissions reduction, like if we're talking about pollution, for example. Um, who likes pollution? Not me. I don't like, I don't like living in pollution. But there's a difference between what they're talking about, which is reducing carbon-based fuels, I guess we can say, and, and pollution. They're talking about reducing carbon. We're all going to have to take these actions. Inflation continues to be a top 10 risk for the next two years, especially if people cannot count anymore on the next generation doing better than what they are currently doing. So that's two key elements we're looking at. Could we be looking? Now, that's interesting that they keep talking about the next generation. And if you look at some of the reports and you link all this together, what they are referring to is that there's going to be a lack of resources in the future is what they see as part of this decarbonization effort. So they say that people just won't be able to do the same things that they did in the past. We need to decarbonize. We need to reduce energy. We need to be more frugal. We need to eat less. We need to travel less. We need to, you know, it's all leading towards 15-minute cities. And they seem to have it in their minds if this is a fact, this is what's going to happen and everyone's uh, going to go along with it. Whereas I don't think people, everyone's going to go along with this plan at the end of development? Could we be looking at a scenario where the current level of living standards that have been achieved around various developed and developing economies, do we in some sense get frozen here because we don't have the same kind of economic international cooperation as we had before and simply not having the resources within those countries with already tighter fiscal space facing the highest impact of climate change um, and in addition to that not having the same kind of access to technology and to green technology that could be boosting the possibilities and opportunities for their populations. So that's one key area that we're looking at, that longer-term divergence between developing and developed economies. One thing I just want to point out as well here, <clears throat> they've sort of grasped onto a key point, which is correct, but they've also grasped onto all this other stuff, which is not quite correct. So one of the key points they've grasped onto is they're talking about this advancement of green technologies as an economic driver, when really it's any technology that's an economic driver. Things that are, well, you, well think of it this way. You look at a company and they invest into R&D, research and development, and then those products or services come to light in the future. And it results in more profit and more income for that, for that company. You look at other companies who don't do a lot of R&D, and they focus heavily on marketing and sales. Yeah, they might outpace the competition, but later on, they run out of products. It is a significant risk and something that we need to watch carefully. And I think the accessibility to large-scale AI models has made it so much easier to reach a large population of voters, to also create content that looks and feels real, even though it is not. And I think it is the reason that we see disinformation and misinformation being ranked as the top risk short term. Because I, th I think there's a level of awareness, but I'm not really sure we know how to uh, 
get our arms around this and how to combat it. The speed with which some of that synthetic content can be created and the fact that it is not tagged or watermarked in many parts of the world. Tagged or watermarked in many parts of the world. Okay, I'm going to slow down a few clips like that. I've grabbed them out for you so you hear them. And this is what we talked about a year ago how they might bring in some sort of a certificate. If you're an influencer, you might need to be vetted and have this watermark and tagging and all this. And this is what they're referring to, although they're referring to it from an AI perspective at the moment. Can I just ask a bit more about the quite apocalyptic scenario you mentioned earlier about the um, uh, risks of AI-driven misinformation potentially causing riots, strikes and even violence? societal polarization really being exacerbated by that, will, which will create polarization and it will create a dynamic that is not necessarily prone for peace <laughs> and collaboration. It's, it is a very dangerous mix. So we talk. <laughs> whenever, that, whenever these things happen, I, I have to zoom in on it. When uh, you, know, the, you see a bit of crazy coming out, let's watch that again. Prone for peace. <laughs> and collaboration. It's, it is a very dangerous mix. We talked about the cost of living crisis. You know, some people's, most people's electricity bills are so high that they're, they're desperate to, to find some way of getting off the grid or, or removing themselves from the, the cost of purchasing electricity. Go on, tell us. So I think it's these kind of things that, you know, it gives us some hope and optimism, actually, that we can deal with some of these, uh, these global what? risks when we see the global uh, cooperation uh, at an international level not really working so well. Uh, <laughs> what? So he's saying it's a good thing that it's not working so well and people can't afford electricity because it drives them towards decarbonization. Wow. Okay. In the short term, and then it will be easier to force conversations, to force conversations that mm -hmm. are so needed in terms of how do we address this? Because both with cyber, with AI, misinformation, disinformation, uh, climate change, extreme weather events, all the environmental risks, not one stakeholder group can solve for this alone. The only Here we go. The only way is for us to do it for you all. Yes. 2030, you will own nothing and be happy. The way that we are going to be able to address this is by coming together and collaborating. And I think that cannot come as news. I think that realization has sunk in by now. What are the longer term risks of becoming more reliant on AI? I think you can see international and domestic actors looking to interfere uh, and leverage AI to, uh, to produce content that will sway public opinion and interfere with the election results. Why does she keep laughing? This is what I don't understand. Why does she keep laughing about these things? This is really serious stuff. So I, I think it's a, you can see it probably coming from uh, both nation states, but also internally and domestically. But I also think it is incredibly, it's critical that we also understand that it will increase the pace of everything. We are so dependent on technology. We are, all of us, completely rely uh, on technology today. So it will, and it can, and it will impact the way we um, can access the things that we need, for sure. John, you want to come on that? But things like Sadia talked about watermarking content. Watermarking content. Here we go. So that when you read something, you know that it's been generated artificially. That kind of thing would be really useful. Yeah, but they're not just going to do that. You know this. They're going to they're, they're manipulate that. It's obvious they're going to manipulate it. And also they'll add the whole 
info, you know, is this legit? Is this not legit? Is this misinformation, disinformation? They're going to do all that. And I think in the longer term, you know, technology, and it's not just information technology, but it's biotechnology and so on, all tremendously positive potentially, but have... Hear that as well, biotechnology, he talked about all positive, he's saying. Dystopian consequences as well. It's about actually managing the, uh, the, the global governance around that. Global governance around that. You know, somebody was walking down the street and they said, oh, I saw somebody talking to a cat. They must be a witch or a wizard or something. We should kill them. And, and it's almost like that level at a global level now about many, many topics. And somehow we've got to create a, a veracity, a, a, a some sort of uh, arbiter of truth that we can understand individually and collectively what is real and what isn't real. And, and I think that's where tech is going to go. And that means there's going to be more governance uh, in that space. More governance... Uh, in that space. Mm -hmm. Inequality is on the rise um, and for some people that means that their living standards have um, started to fall in other parts of the Started to fall? Started to fall? No, people's living standards have crashed. ...world and in different societies. It can simply mean that those that have, have more and that's why inequality is growing. So there's a lot of nuance depending on which country you're in. But if you're in Africa, for example, you're looking at Europe as an opportunity. You know, we have seen historically over hundreds of years, with wars in particular, that countries and nations uh, become indebted, and it takes a long time for that debt to play out. And in fact, that's one of the, the, the big tools, is extending the tenor of the debt, um, <clears throat> the big tools for the central banks. <clears throat> we talked last, in last year's report about finite resources. Yeah, be careful there. Don't, don't uh, say too much about that. I think he, he caught himself. Oh, quick cough there. Uh, get off that subject. You know, we clearly are getting to a point with 8 billion people on the planet, uh, our consumer behaviour. Go on, go on, tell us we're overpopulated and that needs to come down. Yeah, it's at a stage where you can't just rely on, on finite new minerals and metals to, to build whatever it is we want. We have a coalition or an initiative that is bringing players together from across those different sectors, from across um, different stakeholders, and that's uh, really sort of our, our method for trying to drive forward impact. Number two is we're very big investors. Uh, so we do have an influence in the investing world. And now the investment universe is huge, mm. but we do have an influence as institutional investors and as asset owners. We're a significant enough population and through our... Uh, You're hearing it there, that they are using the assets. We've talked about this a lot. They're using their power and their wealth to influence. Collaboration and, and partnerships with the World Economic Forum. We do have uh, an opportunity to influence policy. To influence policy. Uh, with uh, both business and uh, uh, political decision makers. This is an outlook. Yes, it's a very gloomy outlook, but by no means is it a hard, fast, set prediction of the future. As you all know, we're going to be in Davos next week, and this is where we bring the stakeholders together to discuss this risk and to discuss how to address the key challenges for the world, so uh, tune in on weforum.org next week and um, wish you a nice rest of the day. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. <laughs> that was an awkward ending. I'm sure there'll be lots more content coming out of Davos to uh, talk about. So there you go. There is your time saver version of the
press conference around the risks of 2024. Thanks so much for watching. Take care. God bless. See you next time.